Mark chapter number 1 this morning. Mark chapter number 1. We're going to begin reading with verse number 9. We're going to read down and include verse number 13. The Bible says, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Father, I thank you for the word of God. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. God, I just pray today, Lord, that your anointing will rest upon the message and upon the messenger, Lord, today. Father, I pray you will give us ears to hear the word of God today. God, I pray we will not only be hearers of your word, but Father, I pray that we will put in practice every day. Lord, what we receive today, Lord, let us glean from your word Minister to us by your Spirit, we ask in the name of Jesus. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. Lord. You may be reseated this morning. I don't know if you'll remember, but before I left for vacation, I began a message I called Lessons from the Wilderness. In the scripture we just read, Jesus has two very dramatic experiences. Now, one of them incredibly awesome. The other, not so much. And both of these dramatic experiences happen on the very same day. Now, there are seven lessons that I want to call your attention to as we look at these verses today. I'm going to quickly remind you of the first four uh, that we've already talked about, and then we'll look at the other three for our time today. The first lesson that we can learn from the wilderness, from the Wilderness experience of Jesus is this, spiritual perfection won't exempt you from the wilderness. Spiritual perfection will not exempt you from the wilderness. I I don't know where we we got it, but somewhere along the line, we have come to think that that, that if we only do the right things, you 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 know, if we'll only pray enough. Uh, If we'd only read our Bible enough, if we'd only come to church enough, if only we would pay our tithe. Uh, If we would do all of the quote-unquote right things, and if we would stay away from all of the wrong things, that, that, that we would somehow be exempt from all of the testings and trials and temptations that come to us in the wilderness. But the truth of the matter is, the closer that we get to Jesus, the more of a threat we are to the devil. And the more of a threat that we are to the devil, the bigger the target he places on our back. Jesus was sinless. He was completely without sin, and yet his spiritual perfection did not exempt him from the wilderness experience. Second lesson that we can learn from the wilderness is this. We are often led there by God. Uh, this is one that we have a hard time getting our hands around. This is one that, 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 that there are even some people that don't even believe this. But, but the truth of the matter is we are often led into the wilderness by God himself. 
I believe there are a lot of things that we rebuke the devil for that wasn't from the devil at all, but the Lord led those into our life. I know that doesn't sell books. It doesn't get applause. But verse number 12 says plainly that Jesus was led into, into the wilderness, notice the phrase, by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that the Holy Spirit lured him into the wilderness. The Bible said that, that, that God the Holy Spirit literally drove Jesus into the wilderness. Now why in the world would God lead us into a wilderness Experience. Well, I gave you three possibilities. Let me remind you what they are. Number one, to prove us. Now, Job was led into his wilderness experience in order to prove that his love for God was genuine. To prove that his love for God wasn't just based on God's provision and God's prosperity. To prove that, that Job loved God for who he was and not just for what God could do for him. You see, too many people are like the ones Jesus criticized. When Jesus told a group of people one day, he said, You only follow me for the loaves and the fish that I provide. Jesus said, If I wasn't, if I wasn't supplying a fish and chips, all you can eat buffet. If it wasn't for the fish and chips, you wouldn't even be here. You see, anybody can talk a good game. I hate to admit this, but one time my junior high football coach told me, Benson, you're all talk. Because we were standing over there on the sidelines, man, and we were losing like 42 to nothing. And I was telling my good buddy, I said, you know, man, when we get on defense, I said, you hold that guy and I'll come and I'll just hit him really hard. Man, I'll give him the what for. Man, you hold him up and I'll really hit him hard. And my coach got over and got in my face and says, Look at the scoreboard, Vincent. Vincent, you're all talk. If you'd be doing this, we wouldn't be losing 42 to nothing. It's easy to talk a good game. It's easy, man. Man, I'm going to tell you something. It's really easy, man, to sit there on Sunday afternoon, you know, and, man, that coach calls that play, you know. I can't believe that stupid coach. Or, man, I can't believe he missed that four-foot putt. He's a professional. He gets a million dollars. Hey, it's easy to talk the talk. The proof comes through the test of adversity that takes place in the wilderness. Why would God lead us into the wilderness? Well, maybe to prove us, number two, to prepare us. Sometimes he leads us into the wilderness to prepare us, and this is exactly what God did with Joseph. You see, in order to prepare him for leadership, God used the wilderness experiences, which which included the pit, the prison, and persecution. Not a whole lot of fun, but necessary to prepare him for the enormous task that awaited him of providing provision for an entire nation. And the third reason why God sometimes leads us into the wilderness is to purify us. And that's what the Lord did with the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 Paul writes, and he says, because I have been given so many supernatural revelations from God, he said, in order to keep me from becoming proud. 
Notice that phrase. In order to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul warns us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought. So sometimes God has to lead us into the wilderness in order to humble us. Notice the third lesson we can learn from the wilderness experience of Jesus. That is, sometimes the wilderness comes immediately following a spiritual high. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. In verse 9 through 11, the Bible says that Jesus is being baptized in water by John the Baptist. And the Bible says that as Jesus is coming up out of the water, the Bible says that the heavens part and that the Holy Spirit comes down from heaven uh, in the form of a dove and rests on Jesus, anointing and empowering Him for ministry. And then the Bible says that a deep, majestic voice comes booming from heaven as God the Father declares, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You talk about a spiritual high. Goosebumps were probably doing backflips up and down the spine of Jesus. And yet the Bible says that immediately, say immediately, The Bible says that immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. One minute he's on top of the mountain and the next minute the mountain is on top of him. Can you relate to this? How come we don't always feel on Monday what we felt on Sunday in church? Now, if you were not here a couple of weeks ago for part one of this message, what I'm reviewing right now, I encourage you to get on our website and listen to it in its entirety. There was some really powerful things that I had to say on this point that you need to hear. All right, let's review the fourth lesson we learned from the wilderness, and then we'll talk about today's lesson. The fourth lesson that we can learn from Jesus' wilderness experience is this. Sometimes the wilderness lasts a long time. Are you excited now? For Jesus, the wilderness lasted 40 days. For Job, commentators say that his troubles and his woes lasted several months and possibly as long as one year. For Joseph, he experienced 13 years of preparation. In the wilderness as God took him on a journey from the pit to the palace. I'd love to be able to stand up here this morning and tell you that your wilderness experience won't last very long. It amazes me as I see people on Facebook put stuff out there like, you know, you know, you're, you know, you know, your dad is canceled today. You're, you know, uh, this is happening. Well, I hope so. Just put a blanket out there for everybody. Well, I hope so. The truth of the matter is we don't know how long it's going to last. Hopefully it won't last very long, but sometimes it does. 
Sometimes you're in the wilderness for a week or two or a month or two, but sometimes you find years go by and you're still in that wilderness. Here's what I do know. What we gain in the wilderness is worth what we had to endure while going through the wilderness. I want to say that again. What we gain in the wilderness is worth what we have to endure while going through the wilderness. Some time ago, one of the members of our church who had gone through the most difficult, trying time of their life said to me, Pastor, even though this has been the most trying time of my entire life, I have never felt God closer than I feel right now. And I would go through it again in order to experience God to the degree that I'm experiencing Him. This person said, I have never felt God's presence stronger than I have this past year while walking through the most difficult time of my life. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 says, What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that we will reveal, that He will reveal to us later. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17 says, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us. Notice, they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Lessons we learn while going through the wilderness, plus the improvement that comes about in our lives because of the wilderness experiences will cause us to become more fruitful and productive in this life, which will ultimately cause us to reap richer rewards when we get to heaven. Let's move on to today's lesson. Number five, the fifth thing that we can learn from the wilderness experience. Sometimes we have to face the wilderness all alone. Jesus was all alone in the wilderness. No one went with him. Joseph faced his wilderness experience all by himself. And and sometimes, sometimes you, you start out with the support of people as you begin your wilderness experience. Oh, oh, but people began to drop out along the way. Such was the case with Job. Job, who seemed, who seemed to get some marginal support in the beginning, but, but, but was finally deserted by family and friends as time moved on. Maybe you've experienced it. Maybe that's where you're at this very moment. All your family and your friends gathered around you in the beginning. Oh, oh, but when the wilderness experience didn't quickly go away, oh, all of a sudden you're not fun anymore. All of a sudden you become a drain on their emotions. 
And one by one, they, they stop coming around until you find yourself alone in your wilderness experience. Listen up. We don't want this to happen to anyone at the Grace Place. We don't want anyone at the Grace Place to have to go through the wilderness experience alone. And that is why we have the Care Ministry Network in place. Our mission statement here at the Grace Place is caring people. Caring for people. And one of the major ways we try to accomplish this mission is through the care ministry. In the care ministry, we train care ministers to care. And after we train these care ministers to care, we place five to seven families under them, and their job is simply to care for these five, six, seven families. They care for them in various ways. They care simply, first of all, by just looking for those families at church on Sunday morning. They may shake their hand or pat them on the back or give them a hug or they may just recognize them from across uh, the aisle and give them a, a wave, just letting them know that they know that they're there. And if they don't see one or more of their families at church on Sunday, on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, sometime they, they give them a call not to chastise them and say, why weren't you at church this morning? You should be in the house of God. Please don't do that. Simply to say, hey, I, I didn't see you this morning. You might have, you might have been here. I didn't see you. Were you at church this morning? Well, no, no, I, you know, Junior's sick. Oh, I'm so sorry that Junior's sick. And we'll be praying for, for Junior. Just... Just basically letting them know that somebody noticed they missed church. Because the bigger that we get, the harder it is for the pastor and the staff to touch everybody. It used to be my goal to touch every person in the church. You know, some I had to do, you know, uh, before church. Some I did during the high five. Some I had to catch you on the way out because, you know, you came in late. But we got, you know... Too many exit doors now and too many people coming and going and I can't touch everybody, but I want to make sure that everybody is touched. I want to make sure that everybody, amen, feels like they're a part. I want everybody to know that somebody knew whether or not they were in church. I may or may not know if you're here, but I want somebody to know. And that care minister finds out there's a need. In that, in that care group of five to seven families, a care minister will, connect, will, will contact some of the others in that group and, 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 and try and meet the need, try and, try and help out. Maybe bring some food or whatever. Just kind of help them out a little bit if, they, if possible. People in the care group pitch in and help out one another when one of their group is walking through the wilderness. See, sometimes, sometimes we have to face the wilderness alone. We don't want that to happen to our people, and so we care on purpose. We care by design. It is a part of our DNA. Just a little commercial for the grace, for the care ministry. If you've got a desire to work in this ministry, Mark Knowles, stand up, Mark. Mark Knowles is our interim director. See Mark. 
you have any interest at all. If you didn't see Mark then, you don't know who Mark is, see Pastor Sean. He'll get you to, to Mark. Let me say this this morning. You don't, you don't have to be a trained care minister to care for people. Now, you have to be trained to be an official care minister. Don't get that right. You're screened and you're trained. But you don't have to be a care minister. You don't have to be a trained care minister in order to care for people. At the Grace Place, we're trying to develop a culture of caring. A place where caring people care for people. So let me challenge you this morning. Be friendly. Reach out to people. Accept people. Accept them as they are. Our job is to catch them. It's God's job to clean them. Well, he's got a tattoo. Well, his hair's long. Well, you know, he wears... uh, She wears... Just love them. Let's try and catch them. Let God clean them. Amen. And if we're going to go cleaning, let me help you with your problem. It's amazing to me what people. It's amazing. You're criticizing them for this, and you're doing what? Sheesh. I want our church to become a loving place, an accepting place, a safe place, a healing place, a caring place, the grace place. Sixth lesson that we can learn from the wilderness is we can count on the devil. We can count on Satan to harass us. Verse 17, he was there in the wilderness 40 days. Notice the next phrase, tempted by Satan. John 10 and 10 tells us that Satan comes to steal, he comes to kill, he comes to destroy. I'm going to tell you that in the wilderness, the devil screams the loudest. He begins by asking questions. Questions like, if God loves you, why is he allowing this to happen to you? Questions like, if God loves you, why doesn't he do something about your situation? He then moves from questions to sowing seeds of doubt. And he plants seeds in our mind of doubt like, like maybe you've done something wrong and God is punishing you. Seeds of doubt, like maybe God is tired of you and he's tired of your inconsistencies and God has walked away from you. He then moves from sowing seeds of doubt to all-out accusations. Where he says things like, God isn't even real. And you're a fool for believing that there's a God that loves you and a God that can help. God is a myth, he says. 
And even if there is a God, He definitely doesn't care about you or your circumstance or you wouldn't be where you are right now. Oh, the psalmist felt this way. Psalm 42 verse 3. Oh, he cries day and night. I only have tears for food while my enemies continually taunt me saying, Where is this God of yours? Verse 9, O oh God, my rock, I cry. Why have you forsaken me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Oh, their taunts. Oh, oh, daily they say to me, they scoff to me, where is this God of yours? If you're walking through your personal wilderness experience, You can count on Satan to harass you and lie to you. You can count on him to tempt you to question God and question his love for you. And let me tell you that he will kick you when you are down. Because that's what he does. He lies. He schemes. He steals. He kills. He destroys. That's who he is. That's what he does. So don't listen to his lies. Don't fall for his schemes. Don't allow him to lead you into his trap. Matthew's account of this story, Matthew goes into much more detail. And in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew describes some of the temptations that Satan presented to Jesus in Jesus' wilderness experience. And each one of these temptations were cleverly designed to be very strategic to the moment and specific to the present situation. But every single time the Bible said Jesus responded to the devil in the very same way, Jesus said to the devil, it is written. Jesus fought the devil with the word of God. We need to understand this morning just how powerful, just how powerful the word of God really is. Our words have no power. Over the devil. But God's word does. And so this is why we need to read the word of God. This is why we need to study the word of God. This is why we need to come to church on Sunday morning. This is the reason we need to fill in the blanks. And we need to put it in our Bible. And we need to take it home with us. And over a period of time, something may come into your life. You need to help some help with. But you know what? In 12 years, I bet you there's some time that I've covered that. And you could look back in those notes and you could find some help there. Not because I had such a great sermon, but because I have dealt with the subject. Hallelujah. And you need to read this word and you need to study this word. You need to come to the house of God on Sunday morning. But, but you don't just need to be a Sunday morning Christian. That is why that we have designed Wednesday night the way that we have designed Wednesday night. Because you don't just need to celebrate the presence of God. But you also need to cultivate His Word in your heart. And we do that around here on Wednesday night as we break up into classes and systematically teach the Word of God. And that's why you need to have your kids here on Sunday morning in the, in the children's ministry as they're systematically taught the Word of God. And you need to bring them back on Wednesday night and plug them into a Royal Ranger group or, or a girls group, amen, that systematically pours into them the Word of God. And mom and dad, you cannot stop there. You cannot stop there. You cannot expect the church in two and a half hours a week, amen, to get to equip your kids with what they need to overcome in their life. That's why every day you need to get the Word of God out yourself. 
And when the kids are little, you need to have the Bible story. Bible stories. And you need to have the videos. It can't all be about Doc Metz stuffing. <laughs> Sean and Krista, they tell my little granddaughter, before you can have Doc Metz stuffing, you've got to have got to have your devotion and so they put on a Christian video before she gets Doc Mac Stephan train up a child in the way they should go amen the psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 11 I have hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you let me ask you this this morning how are your kids going to be able to recognize right and wrong how in the world are they how in the world are they ever going to be able to rise above the sins of this present and future ungodly culture if they don't even know what the bible says about these things see some of these things that are happening today doesn't really bother us you know because we know the truth We've come so far. I mean, it's like, what? What? It's so far off base for us, so far out of bounds for us. But it's because of where we've come from. These kids today are born in this society, in this culture. They go to school in this culture. Their friends are growing up in this culture. So you can't just expect them, oh, they'll just throw that off because that's, so, that's just so, you know, black and white and just so easy. No, it's their world. Amen. You know, I barely bumble and fumble around the computer, you know. And these kids, you know, you know. How old was Ellie when she was opening your phone? 18 months old? It's a world. Their world. We better show them the other side. We better show them the other side. And listen, I got in trouble last time I preached, and I had to be gone two weeks. (laughs) I may be gone a month after I say this again, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something, and I'm going to tell you. Maybe I won't tell you. I know that every generation, you know, thinks that their generation before them didn't raise them right and didn't give them enough. And so now we've gone so far over here. Moms and dads chasing all over the country. Four-year-old kids. Missed three Sundays out of the month, called themselves faithful. Say they're raising their kids in church. They're not raising your kids in church unless you've got your kids in church. If they're on the ball field more than in church, they're not raised in church. See y'all. Hey, I, I, you know, it's our culture. I understand things are different. I, I understand. But I also understand that the thief comes but for to steal and to kill and destroy. There's a target on the back of your kids. The devil's out to destroy them. 
And he'd do it very subtly. I, I said that because I love you. Listen, we're living in the end times. And Jesus is coming. And God is about to wrap up this dispensation called grace. And Satan is well aware of this. And he's not just treading water. He's not resting on his laurels and saying to himself, I'm satisfied with what I've already done. No, sir. He's pulling out all the stops. He's working overtime. And you can see his hand in everything today. You can see his hand in our government. You can see it in our laws. You can see it in the attitudes of the people. You can see it in our culture. You can see it in our schools. And the devil is even coming to church. Coming to church and trying to divide the church. Trying to get the church focused on the inward things instead of the outward things they ought to be focused on. Fussing and fighting over where you set the knob on the soundboard and whether you have lights or not and how dim it is and what song you sing. Because the devil knows that if he can get us fighting inwardly, if he can get us fussing and fighting at each other, we won't do anything about a lost and a dying world. Are we going to become like the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3? Jesus said to them in verse 17, he said, you say. Jesus said to them, this is what you say about yourself. You say you're rich and increased with goods and you have need of nothing. And that's what so many in the church world says today. Man, look at us. We got this beautiful new facility, man. We got new people. We got more money, man. We've got more staff. Man, look at us. We're rich and we're increased with goods and we don't need anything. We got it all, man. We got it going on. Think I'll write a book. Think I'll do a seminar. Jesus said, that's what you say. Verse 17, Jesus said, this is what I say. You're wretched, you're poor, you're miserable, you're blind, and you're naked. What will it be? Will we spend our time fighting internally over non-essential and futile personal preferences? Or will we unite together to fight the real battle? And the real battle is not over the style of the church. The real battle is a spiritual battle. It's a battle for the eternal souls of those that are lost and those who Satan is trying to snatch from God's hands. I got to say this. Let me tell you that the greatest thing you can do to help the cause of Christ is this. Stay strong in your wilderness experience. Keep your faith when all you have left is faith. And when you need to have a meltdown, and all of us need to have a meltdown every once in a while. But when you need to have a meltdown, or when you begin to question your faith, seek a pastor or a strong, mature saint to vent to. Not to an unbeliever. Giving them another reason not to come to church. Giving them another reason not to serve God. Not to an unbeliever. And not to a baby saint. 
And whatever you do, stay off social media when your faith is wavering. I said, stay off social media when your faith is wavering. Message somebody. Call a pastor, a staff member, a mature saint. You need to vent. I understand that. We all need to vent. You're hurting. I understand that. You need to cry. I understand that. I understand that. But find someone that can help you. Number seven, and I'm done. We can count on God to help us. Get back up your worship team. I'll try and close because I'm over. Verse 13. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And the angels ministered to him. The angels ministered to him. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the wilderness experience. Some of you I do, but others I don't. But I want to tell you this morning that yes, the devil is there. Yes, the devil is tempting. Yes, he is testing. Yes, he is trying. Yes, he's lying. Yes, I understand that, but I want to tell you that the Lord is there to help you. The Lord is there to help you. He'll help you go through it. Jesus said in Matthew 28 and 20, he said, be sure of this. Be sure of what? Jesus said, be sure of this. I am with you always. We don't always see Him. We don't always feel Him. We don't always hear Him. That doesn't really matter. What what matters is His promise. And we can count on His promise. We can count on God to help us. He helped the three Hebrew children walk through the fire without even being burned. He helped Daniel survive a den of hungry lions. He was there to extend a helping hand to Peter when he was about to drown. He'll be there for you, and He'll be there for me. I'd love, stand with me this morning. I'd love to tell you that walking through the wilderness is an option. I'd love to tell you that if you just get close enough to to Jesus, that He would spare you the wilderness experience. I'd love to tell you that, but it would be a lie. But what I can tell you this morning is this, God will use your wilderness experience to teach and train you. And I will tell you that there are people that are watching you walk through your wilderness experience. They're not impressed with your new Cadillac and you say, ain't God good? Well, you got a new Cadillac, yeah. God's good. Just bought a new house by the country club. Ain't God good? Well, yeah. But when all hell is pointed in your direction, and you may not be jumping up and clicking your heels, but you're still, your faith, your trust, your hope, your confidence is still anchored in your God. People aren't impressed with your blessing. They're impressed when the blessing seems to be fading, but your love for God is not. 
God will use your wilderness experience to teach and train you. He will use your wilderness experience to purify you and prepare you for your destiny. And He will use your wilderness experience to help you show somebody else the faithfulness of God. And He will go with you and He will help you not only endure, but He'll help you come out on the other side victorious. It might not be tomorrow. It may not be next week. It may not be next month. But He'll help you not only endure, but come out victorious in the end. Father, I just pray that you'll take the word this morning. No doubt in a crowd this size, there are many that are walking through the wilderness today. doesn't take a prophet to discern that. So God, I just pray today that this word will be an encouragement and a help to those who need it today. And for those that need it in the future, it will prepare them as well. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed today, I'm not going to do the hand up and down and all that stuff. This morning, if you're walking through the wilderness today, and you just need the Lord to help you today, just need the Lord to reveal the fact that He's with you today, I want you to come this morning and stand in the front. You're walking through the wilderness right now. You're in the wilderness. I want you to come. Let God minister to you today. Maybe you've been in the wilderness a long, long time. Maybe it just started for you. But you sense that you're walking in the wilderness today. I want you to come. I want you to give that experience over to the Lord this morning. I want you to let the Lord love on you this morning. I want you to let the Lord assure you of His presence. Assure you of his help. Step out from where you're at this morning. Come on down. And come on in a little closer, those of you there on the second back there, so we can bring more people in. Just come in as close as you can. All right, I'd like to bring everyone down this morning. Everybody come forward this morning. Everyone come forward. I love to spend some time in the presence of the Lord before we leave, if at all possible, so the Lord can speak directly. I believe that he speaks to us as the word is preached, but I believe also that we can give you an opportunity to to cement that word in your heart. Take something from that word to stand on, to help you. Father, I just lift up, Lord, is there 20 or so, I don't know, several people that have come this morning saying they are walking through the wilderness today. God, I don't know what it is. It might be a financial situation. It might be a family problem. It might be a married situation. It might be a, a lost child. It might be, I don't know what it is. I don't know. But God, you do. You do. You do. God, I believe that some of them have listened to the lie of the enemy. God, we don't even really need to know why we're in the wilderness. All we need to know is, is that you're there with us. And you're going to help us You're going to help us while we're in the wilderness. You're going to help sustain us. You're going to encourage us while we're in the wilderness. God, you're going to work on us 
going to work in our hearts and in our, our lives while we're there. And God, in your timing, you're going you're to take us through that wilderness with our heads held high, faith in our heart, determined to do something with the experience we've just walked through. I pray encouragement. I pray help. I pray blessing upon each one going through this time today. In Jesus' name.